Father, um, we love you. And again, breaking religion of just going through the motions of prayer. As I've heard many say before, when, when we pray, we're talking to the God that's been here since the beginning. Since even before the beginning, Father, you've always existed. And it's just um, sometimes we forget that when we pray that that's who we're talking to. So today we invite you to be with us. We acknowledge that you are bigger than everything. So I ask that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. May your word bring transformation to us. Father, because your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, it can pierce both soul and spirit, bone and marrow. So may your word today do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, Paul is going to talk about the importance of imitating God's example. Now, the unique thing about imitating God's example is this isn't the only time in the New Testament that, or even the Old Testament, that this idea of imitating God's example has been presented. But Paul has presented it several times throughout Scripture. So for us, it's important to imitate God's example. Now, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 tells us, this is Paul speaking, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So imitating. Philippians 4.17 says this, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So following the leader. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You became Im imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You became imitators. So Paul, all throughout the New Testament, is encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ to become imitators of him because he's an imitator of Christ. Were you an imitator of Christ this week? Or did you just do you? See, there's a lot of language within the world today that is very intentional to make us these, our own rogue people, right? Do you. Do what makes you happy. And I think there's, yeah, have joy, right? But often what we get told is just go do you. You're going to find happiness when you do you. Anyone ever heard that? Anyone ever tell people that? How many of you guys live by that in here? There's a comedian that would often say, uh, some, I'm going to see who knows this, you sinners. <laughs> do you, boo-boo. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Oh, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> this idea of do you. Paul is saying, hey, look, we can't do us anymore. 
What he's getting at through Ephesians is we are new creations. Christ is living in us. There's a foundation and there's a standard that he wants us to live through Christian maturity, through avoiding certain things, right? Through living as this new being. So as believers, it's not our job to do us anymore. It's our job as believers to be imitators of him. This or God has a way for us to live. God has a standard for you and I. And again, we have been saved uh, by grace through faith. Amen? But then that is on this side. And then right here it is, there's, there's works, right? You can't say you have faith without works. Faith without works is dead. And you're like, well, which one is it? Is this a contradiction? God still has a standard, though he died on the cross for our sins. And what happens is faith without works is dead, and um, grace, we've been saved uh, by, faith, by grace through faith. And then what happens is there's this tension that we bounce off these walls of which one is it? Which one is it? Which one is it? And I love that tension. Because sometimes when I'm over here, sometimes when I'm over here in this grace side and I just receive the grace, then it's just like, I do me. I just do whatever I want, right? God's grace, he loves me, I can, I can say this, I can say that, I can not be generous, I can do all these things. And it's like, no, like, he pushes me then. He says, no, like, you're saved by grace through faith, but... There still works. And then I get over here and it's like, well, I'm just going to work my way to God. I'm going to go to church when I don't want to. I'm going to give my 10% or whatever else. I'm going to serve here, serve there, or help grandma walk across the um, street, whatever, right? I'm going to get this cat out of the tree. I'm going to religiously read my Bible. I'm reading the words, but it's not connecting to my heart. And God's like, no, that's not it. And then he throws me back. And it's like, we need to be right here in the middle. But what we forget about is this, is sometimes we forget that, yes, there's grace, and we had that series, but God still has a standard. Amen? And the standard, here's, here's who we're not thinking about today. We're not thinking about the world today. Because when Paul is talking to the Ephesians, he wasn't talking to the world. Paul was speaking to the church. And sometimes why we don't grow is because we always think about who we wish heard the message rather than us receiving it. Amen? Anyone ever sat in church or listened to a message online and say, I wish this person heard this message? Today, my hope is this. Is, yeah, I wish, I wish everyone would hear the gospel of Jesus. I wish everyone would hear the message of Christ. But Paul is speaking to the church. So today, don't think about the debauchery of the world, right? Don't think about the government and where you're frustrated with them. Today, receive this message for you. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your coworker, but you. So Paul is saying we must become imitators of Christ. Therefore, to imi imitate Christ... Paul is going to tell us in today's scripture three ways to walk like Christ. 
And the first way that he's gonna tell us that we can imitate Christ is to walk in love. That's the way that we imitate him. So walking in love. Ephesians 5, 1 through 14 today. But walking in love may seem hard for many of us. It can be, right? But as we continually grow in our knowledge of God, we learn that he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. So Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So those who are, who are following Christ, those who have been born again, God's love has been poured into you. You have God's love within you through the Holy Spirit. And because of his spirit, it is possible to take Paul's message today and receive it um, as something that we can aspire and imitate. Either way, Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There were so many different sermons where I felt like, you know, we could have spent 10 weeks in this week's teaching. But what's going on here is Paul is saying, imitate God. And then the question that I had over the past several weeks is, well, how do I imitate God? How can I imitate him? It's like, the fact of the matter is, is we've been created like our parents. There's a ge genetic aspect to us. There's also an epigenetic aspect to us. But we've been created like our parents. I was gonna show a video today on TikTok um, I decided not to, but I will explain it, is there's this little farm boy, and some of you have probably seen it, but there's this little, little farm boy, he's in his Wranglers, he's in his boots, right, farm boots, steel toe boots, of course. He's got his nice farm shirt on, tucked in with a belt, a nice belt buckle, and his John Deere hat with the tight curve, right? I mean, like, rubber band and some oil curve, right? And it was really cute. Well, he had like this little, like, just small tractor, not like a toy tractor, a real tractor. Um, but it was like, you know, just really small. It could do some snow, pull some light things. And his mom was recording him. And she asked him, anyone seen this video yet? His mom was recording him, and she's like, tell me about your tractor. And he's just so proud of, oh, this is a 1973 John Deere 300. You know, she, she can really run, Mom said. Well, can it, can it start cold? Well, you know, I started it earlier, so it's not going to start cold now because it's warm. Yeah, she can really purr. Yeah, you know, she got some dents on her, but she's pretty. And, you know, he just goes through, and it's like, who is that? That's the dad. That is the time on the farm with the dad. And you just saw how, like, this boy was his dad. 
So look, if you don't like me, then just know that I'm my dad. <laughs> if, if, if I say stupid stuff up here, I learned it from him. <laughs> right? If I got a strut, I learned it from him. If my hair's falling out, I got it from him. <laughs> right? But here's the unique thing. Parents love that their kids are like them. Amen? Parents love when they, they see the expression of who they are. Parents love when other people or parents come up to them and say, hey, that's your son. That's your daughter. I can tell by this. Or you have a good kid. Your kid is respectable or honoring. Parents absolutely love it. Grandparents love it. And what Paul is saying is, hey, look, imitate God. But we have to ask the question, how do we do that? But there's the genetic aspect of us, and then there's the epigenetic aspect of us, right? And I assume that we all understand what genetics are, right? Your DNA. Um, pull up the birds and the bees um, presentation. Your mom and your dad after marriage. Uh, so your mom's genetics and your dad's family genetics all coming together to make you, right? Genetics. One of the things that I was actually telling Jonathan this morning is we raised pigs growing up. And one of the things that I was absolutely obsessed with was getting the right genetics. So when we would uh, breed the pigs, I would look through magazines for hours and hours trying to figure it out. We had some success with it, and then we get the right genetics, and then we would use Bud White's blend champions all the time. That's what it was. Maybe the genetics weren't good, but Bud's uh, feed was just right. So we had the genetic aspect that we're like our parents, right? Our DNA, mom's DNA, dad's DNA coming together to make us. But we also have our epigenetics. Now, epigenetics, if you're unfamiliar with it, is this is the study of how your environment impacts how you express your unique genetic code. This means that the way that we were raised and how we dealt with life crisis would cause our genetic expression to do different things. So if your parents told you good job when you did something good, then you would probably do it more often. The way that you would respond to punishment might create, if you had bad parents and they abused you, your epigenetics will show up. It changes a genetic code by which we interact with the world today. So what's my point? In the beginning, we were created in God's image. And he said that we were very good. Some things were good, but when he created us, we were very good. But after the fall, we were no longer good. We were on a path to hell. But God sent his son to save that which was lost, to restore the union that, uh, yeah, to restore the union between God and us once again. So what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect life. He was wrongfully accused. He died the death we were supposed to die. And once Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the grave. Restore, uh, re yeah, restoration was available to all of us as a free gift after his death and resurrection. Upon receiving this free gift of salvation, we were given, given new natures. 
as he made us a new creation. And then as a new creation, we carry the very heart of God inside of us, empowering us to follow his example. You and I can follow the example or imitate the example of Christ today because Christ is living inside of us. We have his very blood covering us, his Holy Spirit inside of us. It's possible to follow him. We can follow his example. So because of Christ in us, we can love like him. It is possible to not be angry. It is possible to be patient. It is possible to be forgiving. Why? Because Christ is in us. We are like him. We have his nature living in us. Now the question is, well, how did Jesus love, right? He loved uh, genuinely. He loved sacrificially. And often... Um, you know, when we think of love, we just think of romanticism. Jesus didn't just live with romanticism. He loves us with sacrifice and action. So what we are called to do is we are called to love people with sacrifice and action. That's how we imitate God. 1 John 3.18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't just love with words and speech, but love with actions and truth. We can't just say we love people and we love God. We also have to take action. We can't just think about it. Um, Macy and I have a lot of conversations with people about health and uh, health metrics. And one of the interesting things that we've been talking about is we have a friend in our life who um, recently got a new smartwatch. So then once you get the new smartwatch, you start looking at some of your heart numbers, right? And there's some things called HRV and VO2 max and resting heart rate, um, walking heart rate, right? And you get to see all these cool things on your watch. Now, your watch isn't exactly right, but some of the things that would be positive for you to look at are the trends. And in one of these numbers of this person, what they're saying is, hey, look, my number is really, really, really bad. What should I do? Now, this person's spouse does a lot of working out. This person might work out once every two weeks, and that might be walking a mile, while the spouse is doing a bunch of work five days a week. So what ends up happening is the spouse thinks that because they're, they're around someone who's working out a lot more, and they work out maybe once every two weeks, that that means that they should experiencing that, be experiencing that same thing, right? It's, but it's not how it works. It's not how it works, but, but here's the thing. Here's what I'm saying is even sometimes in, in that story, that parable is not about Macy or I, <laughs> but Macy and I have had that. Each day, I'm pretty frustrated at the end of the day if I didn't uh, run or bike. So I find a way most days of the week to be able to do that. Macy's busier than I am, 
because she has to do dishes, she has to do laundry. <laughs> she has to wipe the cabinets from bacon grease. <laughs> right? So Macy doesn't have the opportunity, or, or wait, all pastors do are drink coffee and play golf. So, <laughs> so um, Macy is unable to do it as much as me, right? So then we've even had this conversation where she's like, I just feel like I should be getting healthier and better at this quicker. And you just keep on excelling at it, but yet I'm just kind of staying where I'm at. So then I, I've asked Macy before, well, Macy, if you look at how often you've worked out, the past 90 days, I've worked out 85 of the 90 days. And if you look at yours, you've worked out 57. And I'm like, just because I'm doing it, I think, Macy, sometimes you think that because our life kind of um, can revolve around it sometimes, and I'm talking about it a lot, that maybe you're doing more than you think. Does that make sense? You're around the people, so you just feel like you're participating in it more. But the point is, is your action isn't there. And sometimes in the Christian walk, we listen to Air One, we feel the obligation to potentially read the Bible, some of us participate in small groups. God is often on our mind, but just because God is often on our mind doesn't mean that we're living in action. Amen? Many of you have heard me share this before, but um, I've told Macy, you're the most beautiful person in the world. She's like, you're just being patronizing. I mean it. 100%. And look at all her hair did. She got that hair all pretty. Now she's turning red. Can't get her with bacon. Either way, when we were early, earlier on in marriage, one of the things, and still today I'm growing in it, right? I'm learning to be a better encourager. But um, though I thought she was beautiful, Though I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world, I never expressed that to her. So in my mind, it's like, well, obviously it's clear I think about her all the time. But just because I thought about her all the time didn't mean that she knew that. I had to take an action for her to know that. Amen? Spouses in here are like, it's been 40 years and I've still been trying to get my husband to tell me how beautiful I am. And his husbands are like, it's been 40 years. I've still been waiting on you to rub my feet. Anyone rub their husband's uh, piggies in here every night? <laughs> Here's the point. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Wash the dishes. Wash the dishes. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I do do the dishes at home. Um, words or speech. Words or speech, but in action. Sometimes what we do is we just live as people of words and speech. We know how to say the right things in front of people. We know how to act religious. We know how to uh, be political in front of people. But God is saying, the way that you imitate me is be a person of action. Amen? Be a person of action. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us so much. He wanted to imitate the Father so much that guess what he was willing to do? He was willing to lay down his life for you and I. Jesus is a person of action, and that's what we are supposed to imitate. He forgave us. Ephesians 4, 23, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Person of action, imitate him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his, uh, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his kingdom, everything that he had, so that you could become rich. You were poor, I was poor, and he laid down his rich riches to become poor so that we could become rich. Amen? Jesus was and is a person of action. Now this list of a few scriptures for the rest of eternity we could talk about. The way that Jesus loves us, the way that Jesus is a person of action is inexhaustible. For the rest of eternity we're going to be learning about all the ways and the miracles and things that he's done for us. Yet at the end of verse two, Paul said this, Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And again, this could be its own sermon. Now this is referencing the Old Testament as people would place fragrant offerings on the altar. Now, these would be considered pleasing aromas if the worshiper gave with, with a sincere heart. Not giving out of obligation, not giving out of religion, but with a sincere heart. So I wonder, um, are we giving it with a sincere heart? Because Paul in verse two is wanting us to see that true love is sacrificial love. True love is sacrificial unto God. And when we live that way, it's pleasing to him. Are you living in a way that's sacrificial unto God? When you give, when you serve, when you encourage, if you do it with the right heart, it's pleasing to God. And I know a lot of times when I'm living over here, by feeling like I have to work my way to heaven, I do it out of rules and obligation. And it's probably not a pleasing aroma to God. But when I try to be an imitator of God because I walk in his love, I walk in his sonship, I walk in caring for people, whatever I do unto him, then guess what? It's pleasing to him. And at the core of my being, I want to please him. I don't want to just be this miserable slave. I want to please him and walk with him. So not only are we supposed to walk in love, we are supposed to walk in light. Because if we don't walk in the light, there is no way we can walk in love. So walking in light. 
Paul tells us of the things we need to avoid so that we can walk in the light. And this is where God has a standard. So let's um, get to verse 3. And what's interesting here is we're going to see that sexual immorality seems to be a gateway to losing our heart. Sexual sin is different than other sins. And it's different from other sins because it leads us down this path of growing cold against God. And and I'll try to prove that to you today. But we must stay away from sexual immorality. Verse three. But among you, there must not even, sorry, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. always weird to bring up sexual sin within church. You can al- I can often just feel the tension, and then I can feel almost like the people of the church saying, don't blink weird. <laughs> don't move funny, right? Because we know how easy it is to sexually sin. Very easy, because... Not all sexual sin is a physical action. I would say most of or the majority of sexual sin is done where? In here. Um, there was a book, there was a book that I read, and I was just, I think this is appropriate. There was a book that I read um, teaching some interesting things about sexuality. And one of the things, um, that it, it, it can be so, guys, we understand our struggle, right? You understand your struggle with lust. You understand how we must be walking in the spirit. But then there's this idea that guys are the only ones who deal with lust. There was actually this study done by a major organization. And what they did is they put um, eye trackers on women And when they put these eye trackers on women and then they put pictures in front of a screen, they tracked where their eyes went. And then they did the same with men, right? And the study showed that women are more prone to look at sexual parts than men were. There's no justification in this. I'm not not trying to sit up here like, oh, women are horrible people. No, I understand the struggle. Men, you understand the struggle, but there's this idea that men don't, men are the only ones who deal with it. Based upon this ginormous study, and what, the, what they were saying is they were showing movie scenes, right? Maybe you had like the, um, um, some cute guy, right? I'm trying to think of some cute guy. I just don't have that radar. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> George Clooney. Yes, all right, yeah. Just give me the names, I'll throw them out there, right? I'm happy I passed the test. I I just don't have one. (laughs) But what they would do is they would show these movie clips after these pictures, and it would be, you know, um, maybe guys in like tight shorts or whatever, right? 
and it would just be where women would look in the length that they would look, it was often women more than uh, men. So I say that just to preface this. Everyone in the room has temptation to walk in sexual immorality. Amen? It's something that we all have to guard ourselves against. So what is interesting to me is at the top of Paul's list of things to put off, it's sexual immorality. Paul gets specific, and here's what he says. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint, a little bit. There's a drink that Macy likes, it's called like a, it's called hint. Anyone ever seen hint water? I was like, why do I want a hint? Like, you try it and you're like, oh yeah, there's a little bit of lemonade in there. There's a little bit of lemon. I don't want a hint. And what Paul is saying is this, is you can't have a hint. To be an imitator of God, we can't have even a little bit. And what's really easy for you and I to do is we think that a hint is enough. Like, I can have a hint of it. I can have a little bit of this. I can, I can think for a little while. I can flirt just a little bit. But what Paul is saying is, look, not even a hint. Now, these are not my words, and I don't share these with any kind of judgment. I'm not living into these things perfectly. So it's not as if I'm coming here today to set a standard that you are a horrible human being and whatever, whatever, right, you're going to hell because you have a hint or a handful or a full backpack, right? I'm not here to say that. These are God's words. And when I get confronted with things like this, here's what I recognize. God, I'm tired of all the areas in my life where I've justified a hint. So whatever it takes, please get the hint out of my life. I don't want it, I want you. But Paul says not even a hint. And our tendency might try, our tendency might be to try to work around scripture, right? To get as close to the proverbial line as we can. What we do is we say, hey, um, I know that the line is right here and we make this line and we live right here at this line. I'm gonna do as much as I can right here. Because I don't wanna follow God completely with everything that I have. I just want to follow him enough so that then I'll still make it to heaven and that I can live right here and still do what I want. And what God desires is this, is God wants people who say, I don't want anything of my old life. I don't want anything of the world. I want everything of you. And I can make that declaration today, maybe tomorrow I can't. I want everything of him, but it doesn't mean that I'm living perfect. We need to be people who want everything of him and desire everything of him, but we keep on trying to just have these hints. So there may even be people in here who re rename or cross off sin from the Bible so that they can live however they want. But Paul says, don't even have a hint of sexual immorality. Why? Because you were once in darkness and now you are in the light. You once used to live this way. 
And at small group, what I really appreciate about our small group is we're friends. Um, we can have hard conversations. And Tuesday, we, I brought a little bit of this up. And just the, um, at least between Macy and I, right, the bickering, the complaining, the sharpening. And what I did is um, I name-dropped a show that some of the girls in the small group like. And I said, is that a hint? And then someone knows that I love The Office. And Michael Scott has a saying, right? How many of you guys know what Michael Scott's saying is? Michael Scott has a saying, and they said, well, what about The Office? And I'm like, you're right. And I'm not here to say that you shouldn't watch these shows or that you can't watch these shows. But what I was trying to figure out is how much is this hint of sexual immorality affecting my life? And if I let this hint then become a drink, and then a drink become a gulp, and then a gulp become, how about this, my big Stanley. <laughs> if, if it goes from a hint to a Stanley, I'm in trouble. Look at me just being a Gen Z pastor here, just so relevant. <laughs> Bringing up Stanley cups during a sermon, that was free. So, if that hint leads to that, then who am I following? And we try to work around it to justify ourselves. So then I could sense even within my own heart, don't tell me I can't watch The Office. <laughs> and you better believe I found out from, I learned from the women in small group, don't talk about my shows. <laughs> don't touch them. Don't do it. Because we don't want to become legalists, right? We, God fulfilled the law. We're, we're not here to become legalists and say, if you watch this show, you're a horrible person. But we do have to, to at least consider Scripture and say, God, what are you saying about this? Is this a hint? What is a hint? Holy Spirit, lead us to these, these hints that we're justifying within our lives to live as close to the fence as we can without stepping over. But what Paul is going to get at here is maybe sometimes if we follow the hint, we go over the fence and we don't even know it. We're going to get there here in a minute. We must realize that our life is an overflow of our heart. What that means is that your sexual problem, your justifying your hints, of sexual immorality isn't a sexual problem initially. What it foundationally is is a worship problem. Your lusting, flirting, entertaining jokes, not cutting off things that God's asked you to cut off because you say it's just a little bit, that's a worship problem. Amen? It is, because actually all sin is a foundational worship problem. And we see this in uh, Romans 1, 18 through 32. We're going to uh, read it for you. Romans 1, 18. And what we're, what we're trying to see here is that there's a worship problem. At the root of our sin, at the root of our rebellion, there's a worship issue. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the uh, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So look, from the beginning of time, God's made himself known. He's been revealed. Everyone in here, maybe there's some people who have doubts, but God has revealed himself to you and at the core of your being, you know that he's real. Nevertheless, verse 21, for although they knew God, they, knew, uh, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. So they knew that God was real. They knew him, but they didn't honor him or worship him as God, right? There was this issue within their core that what they wanted to do was to pursue their own things. They exchanged their love for God and who God was for immortal things, right? Idols and other things. So because they did that, because God revealed them, God revealed himself because God revealed himself and they still didn't want anything to do with him, guess what happens? Here's what happens. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to what? Sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worship and served the created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So then because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even, the wo even women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in, um, and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They, were, uh, they became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They, are, um, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Interesting, isn't it? Now, what's really interesting to me is this, is what Paul is saying here is God has made himself known since the beginning. 
clearly seen and no excuses for anyone. These people knew God, yet they didn't glorify him or thank him as such. They thought that they were wise, but they were fools. So then they were darkened. God then, God then gave them over to their sexual immorality, and they started to live however they wanted to sexually. That resulted in them being filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They knew better about God, but they continued to live in their way. What I see here is in our scripture in Ephesians today, Paul is saying don't have a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Don't have a hint of it. It's a worship issue. And then what that continues in is now when we look at Romans, God's like, look, I've revealed myself at the beginning of time. But because you wouldn't worship me, guess what ends up happening? What is, what's the sin that Paul brings up first in Romans 1? Sexual impurity. It's like what ends up happening is when we rebel from God, the first thing that will go wrong in our life is sexual impurity. And then what's really scary is sexual impurity seems to be a gateway to all other wickedness. There's something about sexual sins that is different. Sexual sin isn't just another sin. Sexual sin is a foundational worship issue that will invade every area of our life. Sexual immorality appears to be the gateway to darkness. And that's why Paul tells us not to even have a hint of it in our life. So for me, what I have to consider, for you, what you have to consider is not justifying the sexual sin. And statistically speaking, scary word in here, right? Statistically speaking, there's people within this room who have looked at porn this week. There's people in this room who are addicted. There's people who have crossed boundaries in their mind in adultery or fornication. Sexual sin is highly enticing. It's highly addictive. It's also demonic. And what God wants to do is set us free today. God wants to set us free. He can redeem all things. But what he's saying is, look, don't have a hint of it. So if we are concerned about why we feel so empty inside, if we're concerned about why we feel lost or don't have hope or can't hear God's voice, we should start with how many hints of whatever are we justifying in our life? Amen? But Paul doesn't stop with sexual immorality. That one was heavy enough, right? But he continues. Verse four of Ephesians five. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Uh, some of the theologians just... Side note real quick. Some of the theologians suggested that um, in the continuation of what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, you shouldn't be engaging in sexual jokes. You shouldn't be reading sexual material. Um, there shouldn't be foolish talk about certain things. So that means that 
I shouldn't be participating in Michael Scott's favorite saying. Um, so some theologians went there with what Paul was saying in verse four. I think there could be a case made for that, but either way, if we just take it for what it is, there's, uh, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then look, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So don't, don't let anyone come to you and say, it's, it's just a joke. It didn't harm anyone. Paul is saying, no, that's deceiving. Don't let these false teachers come into you and allow you to justify these actions that way. I've heard a sexual joke within the past week. I've probably laughed at a sexual joke within the past week. And I think one of the hard things to do is to make such a stand for God that you're willing to walk away from it. Because sometimes, or a lot of the times, we want the approval of man more than we want the approval of God. Amen? We say, I'd much rather you think that, or I'd much rather feel safe around you than to feel safe with God. And that's an identity issue, right? I'd much rather be your friend than his friend. But yet we come here on Sunday. We go to small group on Tuesday, Wednesdays, or Thursdays, or every other Sunday. He's saying, no, don't participate in those things. Make a stand. Don't have a hint of it. Paul says, don't let someone deceive you and cheapen the call that God has put on those who love him. Don't let people come in and deceive you and minimize how people who participate in sin this way will face the judgment of God. And guess what? I can feel the tension in the room. And I love, I know that I have your attention today, so I love that. Thank you, God. But our conditioned mind wants to write off scripture and say that what I'm preaching right now is works or it's impossible. Yet Paul is telling us today that it's time to get rid of these unrighteous acts. Rather than repenting of these things that we worship, we want to keep them. If God is telling me to no longer watch The Office, because there's a hint of it, there's a hint of sexuality in that. I might be called a legalist by people, a rule keeper, rule keeper, a rule keeper. <laughs> That's how people would say it too, right? You rule keeper. <laughs> a Bible thumper, right? Judgmental whatever, right? But if God is putting on my heart that the office is a hint, then I need to honor him before I justify myself, amen? And we have to consider that in everything that we do. The music we listen to, 
the podcast we listen to. God's been convicting me of a sports podcast. The language that they use in this podcast and the way that they talk about their significant others, it's like I justified it for a couple years saying, well, they're just talking about sports. I can get rid of that. But God's just been convicting me, hey, too much nonsense. There's too much of a hint. It's getting towards the gulp now. I'm not here to, yeah, so I want to be careful. I'm not telling you today to go quit all your shows or whatever you do, right? But I do, I do hope this, that you go home and you pray about the things that you're doing. Amen? You ask God, is this too much? Have I been deceived? Because ultimately, that's what we want. So Paul is telling us to get rid of these unrighteous acts. But rather than repenting of these things, we want to keep them. And the book of Timothy is clear about getting rid of godlessness. Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 22. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Everyone. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I'm not very smart, but I do know that everyone is us. It's everyone in this room. Verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul tells Timothy that those who cleanse themselves from wickedness will be instruments for special purposes, made useful and prepared for any good work. I don't know about you guys. I've had seasons where God has used me in special ways. Just absolute, just the intimacy and just knowing that when I wake up that he's there. Like, I felt closer to him than I would feel like to Macy. Not that we were arguing or anything. Even in the best seasons, it's like the way that God can just make you make you feel known and valued and secure and safe and inadequate, but you know that you have purpose just proves to me that he is, he is God. And then in that, when, when I fight this battle and try to, um, not in my own strength, but just to say, God, um, there was an opportunity to walk in wickedness today, but I chose you. And there was an opportunity to walk in wickedness today, and then I tried to choose you. 
And then it was like when, when my heart was trying to honor him and offer, offer this, these things as a fragrant offering to him because I wanted to, everything changed about my life. And we started to see people get healed of cancer and random money coming in and just, just actually take, take those things out. The special use that I really just appreciated was just, I get to know him. Like he, take religion out. Because a lot of us in here, we serve God, but yet we've never really like walked in the reality of knowing who he is, his presence, a, um, a peace that comes with it. And it's like, when I started to walk in that reality, my whole life changed. Now, there's the ebbs and the flows, right? Two steps forward, one step back. And then the slow fade might happen, and then you find yourself up next to a pig saying, how did I get here? And then you keep on reading scripture and trying to repent and confess and ask God to... Um, help you see the areas that you're deceived, and then he brings you back. But everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. How many of you guys in here today want to be used for special use? Anyone? I want to be used for special use. And during this season, um, when I really used Facebook, this was years ago, and I just graduated high school, and I'm a track coach at a school other than Mechanicsburg. And um, the anointing of God was on my life. Like just, it was special use season. And I made this video, and I posted it on Facebook, and it was a dumb video. Dumb. You know, like one of those things that, they're just like, I can't believe that I did that. I did it. It was embarrassing and it was humiliating. And I made this video and <laughs> I put on emotional music in the background while I'm talking, right? And I'm just talking about my frustration of, my frustration of my friends who don't know Jesus. And right now there's a big party going on and my heart is broken for them. And then I went on to share the gospel and all that Jesus has done for me. Well, apparently one of the track kids had watched that video. And the next day that I went to track practice, this um, sophomore ended up telling me, hey, I watched your video last night on Facebook. And right then and there, I repented of my sins and I gave my life to Christ. To this day, however many years later, right, She's serving in her church, served as a children's director, and her kids are being raised in Christ. Amen? Now, I share that to say that was special use. Because since that time, I've made videos, I've learned not to, maybe it was the emotional music that got her. <laughs> I've, I've made videos, I've done things, and that anointing wasn't there. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. I basically did it for myself. But in these seasons where I'm like, God, all I want is you. I don't want my evil ways. I don't want this debauchery, debauchery. I just want you. I just want you. He has done amazing things. So nevertheless, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. 
we will be made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. I want to walk in the light. I want it. I want it for this church. I want it for us. But if we keep on thinking that we can walk in darkness and walk in light and have special anointing, we're wrong. And I've heard people say this before, favor isn't fair. You just don't be, become a Christian, still live in the world, and then have special purposes. What we have to do is this, is we have to become a Christian and we have to utilize the spirit that God has given us. We have to obey the spirit that God has given us. And as we obey the spirit that God has given us, he will use us for spe uh, special purposes. I want that for us. So today, if you're frustrated with your relationship with God, you're mad that you're like, I just want you to show up. I want to I wanna be, uh, I want to experience revival for myself. I don't understand why the, everything seems to really stink in life. Why can't I have peace? Why can't I, I have hope? Why can't I have my first love again? It's not because he hasn't done anything. It's because we're, we're probably pursuing wickedness and we're rebellious in certain ways. Then he's like, what I need you to do is repent of your sin and pursue me and pursue holiness and imitate me and then I can use you for special purposes. Verse eight, Ephesians five. For you were once darkness, but now you are in light. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But, every, uh, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleepers, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up sleepers, wake up sleepers. Wake up, amen, wake up, wake up, wake up. Not even a hint, wake up. And one last point. We're supposed to walk in love, walk in light, and now Paul is telling us to walk in wisdom. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and the song of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul makes it pretty clear for you and me. Don't live as unwise people do. Make most of every opportunity. 
And in uh, Colossians 4, 5 and 6, there's a paralleled statement by Paul. Here it is. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What I think what Paul is getting at is the end is near, right? But here's what we have to be mindful of. Maybe Jesus is going to return this year. Maybe next year. Maybe he's going to return in 3050. Or you and I don't wake up tomorrow. The end is near. We don't know when we're going to be gone. So because time is short, we need to make the most of every opportunity, biblically speaking. Our conversations are to be full of grace. Our conversations are to be seasoned with salt so that we can be ready to have an answer about God for everyone. So we avoid sexual sins. We avoid the things of the world. And instead of having those things, what Paul is telling us is to be ready in season and out of season, to give a reason for our faith, to preach the good news, to encourage one another, that our life should be filled with songs and hymns and um, encouragement for one another. And sometimes what I like is sometimes just when Chad, uh, I ask Chad just to play his own song, like his own, like, give me the pads, or just play on the guitar. A lot of times what I like to do is just sing my own song. Right? I don't need to sing the songs. I appreciate having songs that are actually good. My songs don't make sense. But sometimes I just like to sing God my own song. And sometimes my song is just, God, you are so good. God, thank you for being with me this week. Right? Whatever my, my song might be. But what he's saying is, get these things out of your life and just start pursuing these, the good things of God. Here's the good things of God. Don't be foolish. Rather, understand what the Lord's will is. Paul isn't um, talking about understanding God's will for your career or your college choice. He's telling us not to be foolish and understand that God wants us to be full of the Spirit and not following the ways of the world. That's God's will. So in short, what he's getting at today is pattern our lives after Christ. Get rid of these things. Follow him. And if you want special use, if you want to know him even more, then don't have a hint of wickedness in your life. So how do we get rid of the wickedness in our life? We repent. We turn from it. When I gave my life to Christ, I repented of my sins. I didn't just say, Jesus, you are my best friend. Right, I remember going to a lot of conferences and we understand the idea of what they were getting at. Hey, today, youth, after we sang with 60,000 people, Jesus loves you, you're his children. If you want to make him your best friend, stand up. We stand up. I guess you can make Jesus your best friend, but unless you repent of your sins, you haven't done what he's asked of you. Repentance means we turn from our wicked ways and we turn to him. And repentance isn't a one-time event. Repentance is a daily thing. Because the closer I get to God, the more I realize that I need to repent of even more things. 
Anyone else in here? It's just like, I never knew, I never knew that piece of me. I never knew that I felt that way. But life happened, and then now I'm this selfish human being that I need to repent of. But what repentance means is not me just saying, God, I'm sorry I did this. Repentance means I was headed towards this sin. I wanted it for myself. And I let go of that and I say, God, I'm sorry. This sin is against your plan for my life. It is evil. I've made an idol out of it. And I'm letting go of those things. I'm leaving them behind and I'm coming back to you. So I say that to say, to be imitators of Christ, we first, to be imitators of God, for us to be able to do that fully, we have to repent. We, ha- we have to repent of the things that we've justified to have a hint of. I think most of us in here have a hint of sexual impurities, immorality to a, to a certain degree. So then now we get we get hit with, well, how do, how do, how, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? Like, what's next? Well, I think what's next is this, is repentance. Repentance is something we celebrate. Now, it does, when, we provi- when I provide an opportunity for a repentance today, it doesn't mean that you're dealing with sexual sin. It might mean that you're judgmental. It might mean that you're a gossip. It might mean that you're a slanderer, right? But I I think the fruit of a thriving church is when a church is willing to repent, amen? A fruit of a dying church is when the people of the church are afraid to admit that they have wrong when we already know all of us have something going on wrong. When pride becomes the thing that we kneel to before we kneel to God, we're never going to thrive in him. And what keeps many of us from repentance is first pride. We want to keep it or we're afraid to show vulnerability in front of people. So, if you want to be used for special use today, and if you just want to make the declaration that God, I'm repenting of these sins and I need to get rid of wickedness, then I just want you to stand up and I'm gonna pray. I made it easy for us not to respond at the altar too. Father, even just no judgment if no one wants to stand. Absolutely none. pray that the enemy wouldn't be able to um, use these words against you today, Father. I pray that we wouldn't hear works, that we would hear you in these scriptures. So I pray today, Father, that you would forgive us of the sins that we're dealing with. We thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for that. Help us repent of them, to turn from them, to release them to you right now in Jesus' name. May we just give you these things. 
God, may we desire you more than we desire these things. And Father, I just even, even declare your goodness over the situations of things we want to hold on to. Father, uh, we give you permission to do whatever it takes to help us love you more. Help us, um, help us desire special use. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. <laughs>